0: good morning everybody good to see you my name is Jake I'm one of the pastors here and I am looking forward to sharing the word with you guys this morning we're gonna continue in Philippians chapter 3 and so if you have a Bible go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter 3 and if you don't have a Bible go ahead and raise your hand one of our ushers is gonna come by and they'll get you a copy of the word and if you are new here you don't own a Bible then just keep the one that we hand out to you that's yours that's your copy We want you to have a copy of God's word. So as we flip to our Bibles to Philippians chapter three, when you get there, just kind of put your finger where the chapter starts and then bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together in your word. And we all, Lord, I, we all need to encounter your son Jesus in his words every week that we might continue to live faithfully to you, that we might continue to be a gospel-centered community. And so I just ask that you would speak straight out of your words, Lord, that the words that I say, meditations of my mind and my thoughts, Lord, would be pleasing in your sight, that they would lift up your people, and that we would all behold and see Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, we, uh, and the hi- we, being the high schoolers and the middle schoolers, our high school ministry team, a couple weeks ago went to Biola University for a summer camp. Um, yeah, yeah, woo, yeah, totally. You can shout. We got any high schoolers and middle schoolers in here? Yeah, I see some of you guys. Um, so we loaded up a bunch of vans. We headed out to Biola University. I drove one of the vans. So it was me and like 15 other high school boys, girls, middle schoolers, in the van for six hours. So we get there and I'm a little tired and wonder why. And, and we get it's funny on the way back though, it's like on the way there, I get there, I feel like I'm in a coma. On the way back, they all look like they're in a coma. And so uh, we get there and we're getting ready for our first night of worship and preaching, teaching. And uh, we're walking over there and me and some of the other leaders, we're just talking about being tired and kind of made a joke. We're like, well, you know, The Holy Spirit doesn't really show up at camp until like the last day of camp, and then if you find yourself ever saying something like that, just prepare. God's probably going to do something just to be like, really? All right, let's see. And so we get in there, and Aaron Daly from Alhambra preaches this incredible message. And, uh, you know, all the while, because I'm sleeping, I'm like, they're not connecting. Like the high schoolers aren't getting it. And I'm like half asleep. We get done, he's like, all right, I want the guys to come up to the front. We're gonna do some prayer. Any student wants to come and receive prayer they can. Before he did that, he had everybody open up their journals and he said, I want you to write out what your dreams are, what you're chasing after, what you wanna obtain, what you hope to gain that maybe might get in the way of God. So everybody had a chance to write those things down, and then he, at that time of prayer, said, you can bring it and lay it on the altar if you want. And so we got up in front for prayer, and I got ready for prayer, and I'm like, it's going to be, like, three kids for prayer, and everybody's going to stand there awkwardly and not, like, sing. And, man, I was so wrong, like, so gladfully wrong. Like, music came up, and there was lines of, like, high school, middle school boys and girls coming up for prayer, laying down their dreams, and just like seeing that. And the crazy thing is we went back and we read some of those things on there and uh, they were all the same. All of them were, I really hope to get the perfect Wife, here's what she looks like and here's what she does. I really would hope to obtain the perfect husband. Here's what he looks like. Here's what he does. He's super ripped and yeah. he does it. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I really want to get the perfect job. I want to be YouTube sensation and I work one day a week. And so it, but all of them were the same in that it was things that I dream about obtaining. And then you can see as we began to pray for the students the weight that comes from our culture and the belief that we have that ultimate happiness is going to come from getting something or obtaining something. And the more I spend time with younger men and women and listening to what they think and what they believe and assume, here's what I learned, is if they are saying and articulating some of these things, likely our leaders are all feeling and articulating the same thing. Their parents are believing the same thing. Our communities are believing the same thing. And the challenge that comes from living out the gospel as a community is not just believing the gospel and believing in Jesus. It's saying yes and amen to Jesus, but then adding whatever our culture assumes about the world onto it. Adding the assumption that, yeah, if I could get enough things, if I can get the right person, if I could get to this point in my life, then I'll be fulfilled and happy. Yes and amen to Jesus, of course, only him but also if I could get this too. And yeah, it sounds silly and ridiculous, but this is how we live our lives functionally a lot of the time. And it crushes us under the weight of trying to get it. And when I see the high schoolers coming forward and just laying down that weight at the feet of God, it reminds me that like, that is the same challenge that we have today. It's the same challenge that Philippi had back in. It is so hard to not just take the things of the culture and just absorb them on there and say yes and amen to Jesus, but also these things too. And what happens is when you get to the story of the gospel and you get to particularly the cross, the cross is always a stumbling block where we get to it with what we assume in our culture and it's a hard stop. And we can't get over it, bringing those things. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians. He said, for, de- for Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Because if you're all about power and strength like the Jews were, then a weak crucified savior doesn't make sense. And if you're a Greek and you're all about wisdom and the right thinking and knowledge, then what is so wise about God dying? And I think that the thing that we want to see and we assume for the Americans, what we want is what do I get out of it? What do I obtain? The Jews look for power, Greeks seek wisdom. We ask, well, what do I get? What am I going to benefit from it? And then we hit the cross and Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Forever, who will lose his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And there's just gonna—I'm just gonna give you this one idea for the day, and I'm gonna say it a couple times in different ways. The main idea of this whole section is: lose everything, gain Jesus. The cross is gonna force us, if we want to follow Jesus, to be willing to let go all of our confidences all the things we might put our own righteousness in, even lose our lives for the sake of participating in the resurrection and getting and knowing Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that that is really truly not actually a loss. It's actually a celebration and a joy because of what we get in Jesus. But we will not get past the cross. We have to step into that story. So let's pick up with this argument and what Paul is saying in verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I I love that right there, just that I've said this before. I'm going to say it again because we need to hear it a couple of times. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here's what was going on the story of what was going on in Philippi and what Paul is doing. Everywhere Paul seems to go and plant churches and build new communities, he would run into this group called the Judaizers. And, you know, first glance, doesn't look that bad, they are Jewish people who would confess Jesus as the Messiah and true Savior. Sounds great. But what they would do is they would go around to these communities that were not Jewish namely the ones that Paul would found, and he, they would tell them, yes, amen to Jesus. He is the Messiah. But also, you need to make sure you become a part of the Torah people, follow all the laws, and get circumcised. And, and this is something that comes up a couple of times in his letters, and it's amazing to see just how anti-adamantly opposed that Paul is to this idea of Yes, amen to Jesus, all those things. But just also, Paul every time loses his mind, uses some of the most horrific, intense language he can to point out how detrimental this is. Like to the point where he says, look out for the dogs, evildoers, and the, the mutilators of the flesh. He just took three like disses that Jews had for Gentiles. They would call them dogs, they would call them workers of evil. And then the mark of a lot of the pagan religions back in the day is they would cut themselves in in like a worship service. And so he says, oh, these guys who say they're Jewish and they say that you need to follow the law, they are the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. Because apart from Jesus and what he grants us, everything else is going to be garbage, and I'm going to show you how and why. The cool thing about Paul is he does something called living theology which I love. He, he, he doesn't just say, here's my arguments, why, believe it, moving on. He begins to tell his own story, the things that he began to lose by taking on Christ and what he celebrates in them. And that's just a little side note that I think is worth us learning, that our lives should be filled with the gospel and the true thoughts and knowledge and knowing the truth about the gospel But if our lives are not shaped by it, if our theology is not living embodied theology, I'm not sure what a lot we have to stand on. One of my my favorite professors in school had said, if it hasn't impacted your life and the way you live, you still don't believe it. If it hasn't shaped your life in such a way that makes an impact and you can live it out and see it, then maybe you don't really fully believe it, which is a gut punch to all of us, myself, myself included. And I think we need to hear that here. And what we see in Paul's story is, let me just show you the theology I live. And so he says in verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised, The first thing that we see in this long list that Paul gives is that, that main idea, right? Lose everything, gain Jesus. Well, here's the first way to say it. Lose our performance, gain relationship. Yeah, amen. Lose our performance and gain relationship and knowing Jesus Christ. Paul essentially says, look, if you guys want to stack up the list of things you do to be known that you've got it together, I have done all of them. I'm really good at it. He says, okay, you want to talk about being confident in the type of people group that you are? I'm in the perfect people group. You want to talk about confidence in doing the right morality and doing the right things? I've done all of it. If you want to put your confidence in the knowledge that you know, then the theology you know, the ideas that you have, I'm a Pharisee. I am sitting in every Bible study giving the perfect answer immediately, and my RC leader loves me, (laughs) says Paul. Like, I've got all this stuff nailed down. When it comes to God's law and morality and what we're supposed to do to follow the law, I am blameless, but I count it all. He said, it says in here in rubbish, it's like garbage. Think of like the last night's sewage you throw out in the, in, the, in the waterway. That's what it's counted as compared to knowing intimately Jesus. Because here's what happens when we try to base Our relationships on performance, we lose intimacy. We lose our intimacy. It gets in the way every single time. You see this, especially like in dating, or maybe you don't see. I have seen this when I was dating my wife. We had things that we would be like, yes, we're totally all about that. And then you get married and you're like, yeah, I never liked that hobby. I just really, it like, for, for, for me, it was, like, first date, I, I was like, oh, you like scary movies? You know what we should do at the end of this date? We should go home and watch a scary movie, because I was trying to hold her hand. I hate scary movies. <laughs> they give me nightmares all night. They freak me out. We got married. I was like, ah, I, I can't do it. <laughs> and every once in a while, in sacrificial love, Lexi pointed out to me, you do sometimes still watch scary movies with me, and that's true. It's because I love her, not because I like them. Um... <laughs> And then you know, I was thinking about this and I asked Lexi if I could tell this story. It's like one of my favorite stories to tell, um, but it's a story of how I almost killed Lexi. Um, might be some of you guys who were there, but that'd be crazy. Um, so Lexi, when we were dating, I was super into rock climbing and backpacking and she's like, sweet, I'll go rock climbing with you. Found out later she hates rock climbing, terrifies her. And then after the story, I kind of like understand why too. It's kind of my fault. So we went on this trip where you, in Arizona, there's a place called the Jug. It's like this canyon you go down, but you get to this point where you have to either cliff jump into some, yeah, into some water, into this big jug of water, or, because I thought that would be too scary for some people, so I'll bring climbing equipment and you can rappel down, because rappelling's not scary. Um, And so... I know, I, I feel like such a dummy even telling this again. Like, so Lexi's like, I'm going to do this. And she runs forward to the line of people to repel. And I yell at my friend up there. I'm like, hey, she's never done it before, so make sure you set her up. I'm sure it's for her someday today. He'll be here, and he'll feel super guilty about this all over again. Sorry. Um, so she begins to go over the ledge, and the rope moves. She panics, and she lets – there's one job in repelling. Hold the rope. She lets go of the rope and grabs the top part that holds your body up and it just takes the skin off her hands, bounces off a waterfall, falls into the water. And I'm on the other side, I don't see any of this. I just hear a death curling scream and begin to rehearse in my head how I'm gonna tell her parents that she died and I'm sorry. so I run to the edge, I'm like, is she okay? And she crawls out of the water, I run over, I get over the edge, I'm like, you okay? She's such, she was such a good sport, guys. She just goes like, how much more do we have to go? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, babe, we have to swim a mile. <laughs> and so I wrapped her hands up and I tell that story, one, because it's really funny and I feel good because she married me still. So. <laughs> but also uh, to make the point that like when it comes to relationships, there's a point where you start off where it is all about performance because you have this longing for that person to love and accept you, right? And then we take that into our relationship with God all day long. Here's what changed about marriage is that both people, my wife and and me, said, I will love you because of a covenant, and I have decided to love you forever no matter what come may. The covenant that Paul is talking about, that's why he says, we are the circumcision. You don't work to get circumcised. We are the covenant people of God by the blood of Jesus I don't perform to get Jesus. I have Jesus intimately and know him, and so I abandon all these other things that I might perform into because in abandoning and losing them, I get to know intimately Jesus. And the type of language that he talks about too, like the Old Testament view of knowing and knowledge was, think about this, Adam knew his wife and then they had a baby. That intimacy level of a husband and wife knowing one another, that is what Paul is thinking about. That idea of knowing Jesus so vulnerably, so intimately, so loved and accepted that is nothing to do based on performance. And so he tells the Philippi church, why would you try to add that back on? Why would you add that back on? That is not a gain to you. This is a blessing that we rejoice in. But I wonder if the temptation for them was that when you receive the pressure from the outside world, especially for them, because they were a Roman colony, and you think a Roman colony would have had Jewish synagogues all over the place. They understood, the Roman Empire understood the Jewish faith. But to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is Lord and not Caesar, that's a problem, says Rome. And so I wonder if the temptation is not, man, I could just say yes to Jesus, but also these things, and maybe it'll lighten up some of the pressure. I'm not going to lose my faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. But also, if I can, I wonder what those things would be for us today. I will say yes and amen to Jesus, but also maybe some things because that makes me feel more comfortable. I can put my performance in that, and then you can track it. You can track performance. That's why it's nice. But you lose intimacy. And so what Paul is calling on the Philippi church is don't go backwards to that what we've gained in Jesus is intimacy that's so much better, so much more beautiful that you would never want to add to it. And so let's, let's continue on here. In verse eight, the second part, it says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then he says what that means, being found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes From the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Not only do we get to be known and know Jesus, what it means to lose our own righteousness is that we gain His. Yes, we lose everything and we gain Jesus. And part of that is we lose our righteousness that we stack up and we say, please accept me, God. And what we gain instead is the righteousness of Jesus himself that relies on faith, on the faithfulness of Christ to fulfill his calling of perfect savior. Anything that we work out in our power is essentially garbage because God never meant for his people to justify him themselves. We can't do it. And what's so sad about our world and our culture right now too is we totally believe that we can we believe that if we can work hard enough, hold it together enough, live perfectly enough, then maybe I'll be worthy of love. If I can keep it together enough, whatever that may be, if that might be in my job, then I'll find satisfaction and acceptance. If that might be in my personal Image, then I can be loved and accepted. If that be my morale performance religiously, if I live and do these certain things or don't do these certain things, then others will accept me and God will accept me. And it wears us out. It exhausts us when we live like that. Because we were not meant to fill our own righteousness. We cannot do it, we're a mess. Right? Like, we are a mess. And when we try to, when we believe and, and say yes and amen to Jesus, but also I got to do these things first too, we're worn out. Yeah. We're totally worn out. I wonder if the amount sometimes of mental illness, depression, anxiety, restlessness, lack of any rest or Sabbath in our lives is partially in part because we think that if there's something that I might do to be accepted Loved and seen by others and by God. I wonder what it might look like for us as a community to live out this idea of my righteousness comes from Jesus, him only, what he does. My only hand in it is faith, trust, and saying, I can't do it on my own. I need your righteousness, Jesus. I lose my own that I might gain his. What kind of rest would come to our lives? What kind of rest would come to your guys' lives? I know what would come to my life if I would actually live that out and believe that in a deep way. I'd probably sleep way better. I probably wouldn't be so worried about so many things. I probably wouldn't be fighting so hard for things I don't need to fight for. If I truly, truly got this in my bowels that the righteousness of God is given to me based off of nothing I do, but off of what Jesus has done for me. Yeah, amen, it's one of those things that we read through, and, and especially us who have gone to church for a while, I was reading this, and I like skipped through this part, and I was like, yeah, I know that. Anytime you read the Bible and you go, yeah, I know that, you, you really should slow down. <laughs> it probably is a portion that you actually don't really get. You just have become enough, like gone through it enough that you can just rehearse it real quick, and that's scary. A righteousness of God given to us as a gift? That's crazy. That's why the cross is so offensive, guys, because we have nothing in it. We have nothing in it. And so it is a loss. It's a real loss because if you have your own righteousness, you can count it up, tally it, and know where you stand. That's, that's the lie because you, you never get there. But Jesus has given us a righteousness that is his own, not based off what we do, but because of trust put in faith in him. The object of our faith is the one that holds us up Amen, church? We, we need that. Yes, we need, we need that righteousness of God. And what gets in the way is our own, so throw it away. Count it as garbage. Give it all up. One of the ways I really like, see this in myself uh, is my inability sometimes to receive help from my in-laws. A um, couple of chuckles, as you guys know. Um, my in-laws are so generous, like crazy generous, and it's so awesome. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. And because I don't know how to receive gifts when I haven't done enough to earn it. And so I have to be careful around them because I'll say something like, Yeah, it'd be nice to have like a grill in this new house, and then I'll come home and they'll be like, We got you a grill. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is a lot of money. <laughs> And, and it's, like, in my mind, I know, this is, I know this is so dumb, guys, but I, like, in my mind, I think, like, maybe if I could, like, do enough, then I'll somehow in my head could be able to be, like, yeah, I deserve that grill. I married, I married your daughter. Like, I deserve it. Like, <laughs> but in my heart of hearts, I know, like, I don't deserve a free grill. That was a really nice gift. I didn't do anything to earn that. And, and what it makes us do is rely on love and grace. Which is really uncomfortable to the point that the other day I, I was telling you guys this is funny—I was telling somebody, telling you guys last time I preached that I was doing jujitsu, and now I quit. It's a month later, I'm not doing it ever. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it ever again. I get hurt too many times. I'm like, all so I was like doing it the other day. Somebody rolled on my knee that I had injured in high school and had surgery on, and I heard this like, <laughs> yeah, I was freaked out too. I was like, get off of me! And I rolled over and I was like, ah! And then it swelled up. And the next like couple days, I was like just crying Alexi, I was like, I'm 29, I'm going to be crippled, and like, (laughs) I was talking to my dad, and I was like, ah, I'm going to quit, I can't do this, and so I didn't even tell this to my in-laws, my in-laws heard from Lexi. I think, and text me, hey, we have some knee braces that we've already bought and used before, Can can we bring them to you, and you can have them to use, and I'm like, oh, it's fine, I'll do it on my own, I'll just walk it off. And so so dumb I'd just be like thanks I would love a knee brace that would help me and what happens is my in-law Jim he just shows up here one day when I'm working and brings the backs of things he's like you didn't text me back I just figured I'd bring it to you anyways <laughs> yeah oh like guys so nice and it <laughs> like, like you want to see if whether you really believe in grace like see if you can receive gifts and what happens when you, you know, or a compliment? That's another one. Like, we joke, but then, like, anything that's for free, our culture says you better work for it. And when we don't, it makes us uncomfortable. And we take that into our relationship with Jesus. And then we wonder why we are constantly striving and we don't have rest. Because when you lose your own righteousness, you gain Jesus's. And you can just, yeah, you can, you can breathe that out and you can, you can rest in that because let's just remember what Jesus said. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous but the sinners. If you say you're not a sinner, not sick, no need, I'm okay, then Jesus isn't for you. But those of us who say I'm a mess and I need it, Jesus came for us and that is such good news. And so the last part Lose everything, gain Jesus. Here's the last part. Lose our life, gain the resurrection. I I want you guys to uh, take a look with me in verse 10. Talks about gaining Christ, found in his righteousness, and all of it stacks on itself. It's like that I may, that I may, that I may. And the final that I may is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his suffering and become like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead this is like this is the part where paul is outpouring his heart and i'm he's in jail the, the suffering is real why Why throw it away? You could have had status you could have relied on. Why throw away your righteousness you could have known where you stood with God? Why throw it all away just for the sake of Jesus? Why give it all up, Paul? Because I'm doing anything I can to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to see Jesus face to face. I want to know him. I want when he to resurrect all from the dead and restore this world, I want to be there. We all lack this part of our faith that I know a lot of us in here really long for. I wanna see him. I've never seen him. I wanna be with him. I've never walked next to Jesus. I long for the resurrection from the dead. I long to see this world with no more brokenness and a God who's good and to have final Sabbath rest forever. That's what he's talking about. I do all of these things so that I can see and know Jesus in the resurrection. But there is no resurrection without the cross. There is no new life without death. There is no gospel without suffering. And that is something that we try to jump over. We would rather avoid. This is where we need the wholeness of the diverse church to speak and teach one another. We need the global church. We need the church from all different spaces and times. Like we need to hear from parts of the world of the church where suffering is not this idea where if somebody would like say bad things about me because I talk about Jesus. It's I lost my home and I was interrogated for 16 hours because I believe in Jesus. We need to hear that side of it, too, because if we don't, we might try to separate the cross from the resurrection and emphasize one or the other on both sides. And that's a danger because it is only through the death and the resurrection and our entering into it that there becomes a resurrection. There was no resurrection for Jesus apart from the suffering of the cross. It's the same thing for us. Only so much as we want to, like he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. How do we know the power of the resurrection? That life-giving power and seeing God work and move and restore, not in the future, but right here, right now, to the extent that we're willing to walk into the suffering of Jesus. And that looks in a lot of different ways. And, it, and it is, this is one of those ones that honestly is like, this is kind of hard to preach for me right now. Because we're one of the most comfortable places in the world ever known to history. One of the riches. And so what does that actually look like? But there are some ways that we actually have to embody it. The moment we were baptized, we died to our old life. And we came alive to our new. And every moment that we go no to our old lives and the flesh and we struggle in that, we are working out the cross and suffering within our own life. For every moment that we just stand on the truth of the gospel and say, "No, this is what the kingdom living looks like," I'm going to live this way, and someone box at you or makes a comment or avoids you because of that, you're living out and embodying the suffering of Christ. That is part of our faith; it's not to be avoided. And I I really like learned this from one of my professors. He talked uh, in one of his books about ministering to people in the Philippines. And he talked about how so much of their experience every day is suffering and hardship economically and sociologically. And so what he noticed is that they identified a lot with the crucified and entombed savior. He said that the danger was I had to affirm and remind them of the victorious resurrected savior. And then he said this, I wanna read this quote to us if you wanna throw it on the board. The greatest danger for Christians in the western world is this. They embrace the victory of the crosses of Christ's resurrection while at the same time avoiding conforming to the cross in their own experience. Popular preaching and theology too often promises power without weakness, success without suffering, prosperity without sacrifice, salvation without discipleship, religion without righteousness. If we are not careful, our gut flinch will be to try to pull the two apart and we'll go with the victorious side because that's where we're comfortable and we're a comfortable place in this time. We need to avoid that and to see that the suffering parts of the gospel, of living in the kingdom, are not things to avoid or markers that we're doing something wrong, but they just might be that Christ is inviting us to share in his suffering. And Paul goes, that's worth it. I'll lose everything for that because you know why? I get to be with him. I get to suffer with him. I get to go alongside Jesus and see him and know him in his suffering. And the power of the resurrection that we know is through that. But here's the flip side of it that I I love. Because I was reading this and it like, kind of freaked me out because I was like, he says righteousness that's only in what Jesus does. And then he goes, I'm gonna do anything I can to attain the resurrection. So it's like, is he worried he's not gonna attain it? But just like he does throughout all of Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works it out in you. In the same way, he says here that I may know him in the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death. How do, we, how do we have the power to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death? The power of the resurrection and the spirit of God. It's him who works it out in us. It's him who works out in his church this idea, this mentality to not say everything's wrong unless I'm fully comfortable, but to instead embrace suffering and being and taking on the life of Christ on the cross. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. My only word today would be that just we don't need to avoid it. We can celebrate it because in it we know Jesus like we never get to know him. And as much as that's something we want to go around or away from and then we feel distant from Christ, sometimes Christ remains in the moments of suffering and he wants us to be there with him. And so as we wrap up this last bit today, as we finish up our time together, I just want to give one thought for us all. Where are the areas of suffering, of embodying the cross that we all might be avoiding? but Christ might be inviting us to. It might be taking on the embodiment of Christ in our marriage, in our work, in areas of friendship, whatever it is. What are the areas that we as the people of God might be avoiding the cross and wanting to skip to the resurrection, but through it we actually could know Christ in a deeper way? So go ahead, close your Bibles. What I'm going to do now is, as the band gets ready to come up, or as they come up, and as we pray, I want us all just to have a moment of stillness and silence, bow your heads, and I want you to think and ask the Holy Spirit, because only he can do it, where are the areas of taking on the cross and suffering in ways that I might be avoiding? And would you please, by the power of the resurrection, give me the power to step into it so I might know you. So go ahead in this point, bow your heads with me. I'm gonna pray and I want you just to continue to think about that through their time. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your son. I thank you for the ways you invite us into spaces that are uncomfortable because ultimately you want resurrection life for us and you want us to know you deeply. And so I just pray for that. I pray that you'd speak to all of us for the rest of today. In this moment of silence, as we pray, that you would speak to your people, that we might know how to obey and follow you, and we might know you deeply. Amen. You can just sit silently for a minute, continue to pray, heads bowed, and in a moment, someone's gonna come and lead us in a time of response.